It's chapter 16 of Acts, which is on page 1111 of the Bibles in front of you. So reading from verse 11, the bottom of your page. Lydia's conversion in Philippi. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatri, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we, met, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crown joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Amen.
We've already said, Colin's already said, we're following a preaching series in the early, or, or the mid-chapters of Acts, uh, and that's where we're picking up today. It'd be great if you had that passage open before you. You probably would find it difficult almost to follow what I'm saying without it. So Acts chapter 16. Um, let me find that and give you a page number very quickly. There it is. Um, page 1111. It's five weeks since I preached in this series with Richie taking a couple and also Easter falling in between there, so it's, it's good to get back to this. But rather than recapping the, the ground that we've covered in a whole lot of detail, I want to take you to our Vision Sunday. Uh, was Palm Sunday, actually, just before Easter there. Uh, I shared with you eight values that uh, the elders in the congregation had discerned as being important in the life of our congregation. And then I talked in a bit more depth about three areas where we're uh, giving a bit of focus uh, at this particular moment in time, three things that are important to us. And those three areas, just to remind you, were Bible, youth and children, and then the third one, uh, giving life away, uh, as, as we're calling it. So this central section of the book of Acts is, I think, a brilliant place to, to be reading, uh, meditating on it, whenever we're thinking about what it means to be a church that gives its life away. Beginning in chapter 13, we'd seen this church in Antioch, this place where people were praying, where the Spirit was speaking, and they decided it was time to, to send a couple of their best, Paul and Barnabas, to go and start to share the message of Jesus uh, right throughout the Roman Empire. We followed the first of Paul's missionary journeys, and there's a, a map just there to remind you of that. Don't worry, there's no quiz on the cities and what order they fall in, anything like that. But you might remember that Paul went on a actually a return trip journey, the, out, the red uh, arrows show the outward journey and the blue arrows show his return trip. In the passage which Richie preached last week, um, I, I don't know if you picked up on that, but it's the start of a second missionary journey, uh, and we'll fire up a map of it to, to show you the way. If nothing else, your knowledge of the, that part of the world is going to be enhanced and maybe some holiday destinations that you'd forgotten about. Um, I, I was talking to somebody about the Greek islands where I've been a few times just yesterday and these, these maps draw you back into that world. The, the, the point of the second missionary journey started out being very simple. Paul had planted churches and he wanted to go and visit the guys that he had planted with. Uh, I, I can understand that. I think if I'd been involved in starting communities of Jesus followers, uh, you know, if I'd spent six months in a city or worked with people for a while, uh, it'd be lovely to get a chance to reconnect. So that's where this first journey starts. So the, the arrows, if you start uh, on the right-hand side of the screen and go to the, the westward or going to the left arrows, you'll, you'll see that's the start of Paul's second missionary journey. In our passage today, as we keep company with Paul, we'll see how this second journey um, progresses. And I think as well, we'll get some help with this idea that we have that a healthy church of Jesus followers might want to give its life away. In particular, I think we're going to find help with three questions. 
the where question, the who question, and the how question. So let's come first to that where question. If we, if we decide that we want to give our life away, if we as a church say, right, God's blessed us and we'd love to bless other people, one of the first questions we need to answer is the, the where question. Well, where would we do that? To whom should we go? Whom will we share with? In our reading today, we've read, the, the part that Colin read told us about three different incidents that happened in one place, actually, in the city of Philippi. And if we weren't careful, we'd imagine that our, our passage today deals only with Philippi. Uh, by the way, if we flick the map back up, um, Philippi is the very northernmost point on that red route. So that's a long way from these cities and Derby, Lystra, Iconium, the cities in modern-day Turkey that Paul's visiting, that were in the passage that Richie talked about last week. And actually, it begs a question, how did he get, how did he make that 700-mile trip from, say, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, over to Philippi? What led him there? Um, what helped him to discern or decide where to do his church planting work? Well, there are some verses that we didn't read this morning that tell that story. So verses 6 to 10, very quickly. We're told there that Paul traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been told by the Holy, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So Paul's there in the middle of Turkey. Um, that was frightening. Uh, guys, put the, <laughs> put the map back up. Thank you. He's there in the middle of Turkey. Um, near where those lakes are, if you can see any lakes there. That's where he is, and he thinks, I'm going to go due west. I'm going to head straight for the Mediterranean, somewhere over near Ephesus. And the Spirit says, no. No, you're not. And then we read in verse 7 that when they came to the border of Messiah, Messiah's to the north, they tried to enter Bithynia, that's to the northeast, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. It tried to go due west and the Spirit said no. It tried to go north and the Spirit says no. It tried to go northeast and the Spirit says no. So Paul says, well, okay, I'll go northwest. And that's where he ends up going. I'll set off for Troas. And with no sense on that occasion that the Spirit uh, blocks the way. Fascinating stuff. If we're convinced that God's calling us to be giving our life away as a church or to be rejuvenating some other church, then we might well find ourselves in similar uh, predicament as Paul here on this second missionary journey. As soon as we decide we want to invest somewhere other than here, then the where question is unavoidable. This passage has really encouraged me this week because if, if I have any sense of Paul, this, this great apostle, I, it's that he's totally sold out for Jesus. He's entirely obedient. He, he would do anything that Jesus asked him to do. But here he is struggling to know where to do it. That's interesting, isn't it? That's a bit we don't always think about. 
um, sometimes presented to us as very obvious what God wants us to do, where he wants us to go. But here we have an entirely obedient person who can't quite find where he should be. Sometimes I've had a sense of a a specific calling, a a very particular thing that I think God's inviting me or or maybe us as a congregation to do. And then, for one reason or other, it doesn't work. I've had a sense for years, probably about 10 years back, I I used to be in the city centre a lot and think, why on earth are there no, are so few vibrant churches in the centre of Belfast, a place where thousands of people used to gather in huge churches to worship God. And now if you're down there on a Sunday, would there be a handful of people doing that? So for 10 years I'd always thought, goodness, there must be some way of going there and being part of something there. Well, 10 years later, I am still wondering about our role in that other churches have begun to do some work there uh, and we haven't, maybe it's not for us so far the spirit seems to be saying no let's come back to Paul for a moment God didn't keep Paul waiting forever so if you glance back down to verse 9 you'll see that God spoke to this very spirit sensitive apostle, gives him a vision don't know if God speaks to you in visions or dreams. He did speak to Paul that way. Paul has a vision of a man in Macedonia, so that's northern Greece in today's money, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love this. So until he's clear where God wants him to go, Paul just tries everything. I'll go there, I'll go there, I'll go there. But as soon as he's clear where it is that God's called him to go, bang, all his previous ideas evaporate and he goes, obedient. We have had um, an interesting version of a a Macedonian call recently in in the life of our congregation. You might remember, it's it's nearly a year ago, that Dan Hayes, one of our elders, came and stood at the front last June and spoke about a sense that he had that he wanted to go and work with the the community in Clarawood Housing Estate in in our parish. Dan shared about that, and, and you're maybe familiar with that part of the story. The part of the story you might be less familiar with is that Martin Symington, uh, the lead elder, he had approached us and asked us if we would come and and partner with them in in this venture in in church rejuvenation. Um, Some of you might even know Martin. Um, Martin's from the Brethren tradition, and if you know anything about a, a good Brethren man, these guys know their Bible. So whenever we were chatting about this, Uh, about the possibility of partnering together. Um, I remember distinctly Martin saying to me, Christoph, think of it like this. Think of it as a Macedonian call. Come over and help us in Clarawood. It's great that Dan and other members of this church family sensed something of God's leading in that 
they could confirm that sense of of a call to go to that particular place. As I say, folks, I find this really encouraging, this passage this morning. Paul, I find Paul very inspiring. You see, there's stuff that Paul does know, and he doesn't let go of what he does know for the sake of the things he doesn't know. What he does know is that Jesus has called him to make disciples. What he does know is that the apostles have been sent out to the ends of the earth. So he's going to keep doing that work. The way it looks to me, it's like a godly trial and error. You have a go. But then as soon as he's clear, as soon as, as soon as something is confirmed and clicks, then he gives up his own dreams and he goes. I think that's brilliant. Uh, I'd love to find myself living that way too. We're going to pause there for a moment in, in the middle of our study on this passage and sing a song together and uh, hear the call of the kingdom. And then I'll come back for a few more minutes from Act 16. So we're in Act 16, beginning on page 1111, but uh, ranging through the, the rest of the chapter. We're thinking about what, what we can learn from this part of God's word about giving our life away. Let's come to the second of those questions. The who question. What kind of people might we hope to reach? Who, who should we expect to reach when we move out beyond our own church community to be willing to give away the life of Jesus? Well, if this Act 16 accounts anything to go by, then we should expect to find all sorts of people coming to faith in Jesus and finding their place in his family. If, let's look around that church in Philippi for a moment and see who's there. There's Linda the fashion designer. You might say she's a middle-class entrepreneur. She's been looking for something, not quite sure what it is, until one day she found Jesus, and now she's part of the family. There's Shanice. She's been working as a clairvoyant. Ended up being trafficked to make money for some sort of a gang lord. And when she's encountered Jesus, she's set free in fact, when she's set free from the, the spirit that's been holding her captive, she's actually no good at the work that she used to do. So the boss lets her go. That payday's done. And she's free as a bird for the first time in years. Free to be who God's made her to be. And then there's Roy, the prison officer. He wasn't looking for anything. When you're a prison officer, you don't tend to be looking for a whole lot. It's a hard, secular environment. You get to see the worst of humanity. You keep your head down. Keep yourself to yourself. Roy wasn't looking for anything. But someone found him. Jesus did. Through a couple of his prisoners, would you believe... And now he's very much at home in this community of Jesus' followers. Disciples, they call themselves, they think of themselves as apprentices. People who want to become like Jesus Christ. With that wee bit of artistic license, I've, I've taken the characters from the Act 16 narrative, made them a wee bit more contemporary, 
ways that we might see them more familiar to us. But they're there okay in the text. Lydia, the purple purple cloth dealer, the fortune-telling slave girl, and the jailer. Really, really diverse bunch. It seems if we're willing to share the gospel with people, we could expect a really diverse group of people to come to faith in Jesus and find their place in his family. I find this passage really challenging on that count. And here's why. In my head, I have people who aren't likely to become Christians. I probably think they never will. I don't know if you're the same. You have some people who you could think, oh yeah, I could see him, I could see her. And then there are others you think, nah. They're just, you know, maybe they're too rich. They have too much other stuff. What, what do they want with Jesus? They're too poor. Life seems too bleak. How could a person like that ever, ever open up to God's grace? Maybe they're too secular. They're just not into spiritual stuff. Or, or maybe actually they're too spiritual. Every week there's a new spiritual fad that they lock onto and run after. They're too intellectual. They're too hedonistic, too young, too old. Whatever the particular problem, I seem to have people in my mind and I I just think, I I don't know, I, I just can't see it. This passage just pulls the rug out from under my feet when I find myself thinking that way. In this passage, it's the least likely people who become Christians. That's going on in this passage in ways that we may not understand because we're culturally removed what, what do I mean when I say these guys are the three least likely? Well, there's a, a prayer that Jewish men used to pray that gives us an insight into how they thought in that culture about who can meet with their God. Jewish men prayed this prayer in the mornings. It was known as the Birkot Hashahar, or the Dawn Blessings. It's a prayer that you recited every morning. As you were getting out of bed, getting ready for the day, getting dressed. And the prayer went something like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It's not my prayer, all right, just to be clear. For anyone who was asleep, I I explained where it comes from. It's It's not... Not mine. I was waiting for a hymn book or a Bible to uh, be thrown. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Because they're not the people that God mostly loves, values, and connects with. And then love comes to town. The gospel comes to Philippi. And who are the first people that we're told about who join their family? A Gentile jailer, a slave girl, and a woman, Lydia. Luke wants us to see that all those ideas we have about who's in and who's isn't, who's most likely, who's least likely, who's most valuable and who has no value at all, all those ideas are gone. 
because Jesus Christ throws his arms open to the world and says to every single person, come, you may come. Folks, let's lay down the notion for once and for all that anyone is beyond the reach of Jesus. You need to hear, some, some of you need to hear that for yourselves today. There's still, I know it just anecdotally in conversations with you, I still hear things sometimes where a person tells me I'm not good enough, I don't know enough, I did stuff in my past. I Just come. This is for everyone. And folks, we need to know it for other people too. For our wife. Or our husband. Our son or our daughter or our parent. Our friend. Our colleague or classmate. This is for them. Whoever they are. Least likely. He can reach them. His arms of grace are long arms. Very quickly, this third question, the how of giving our lives away, of church planting. Maybe God's shown us where to go. Maybe he's shown us whom to go to. How's it going to happen? How's he going to win them over? Well, I'll tell you, Sometimes people in my position stand at the front and tell you how people become Christians. If only you follow these three steps or use this formula. Thankfully God and his word are not like that. There's life and freedom in this. Have a look. How do the people in Philippi come to Jesus Christ? Look at Lydia. She's at a Bible study. The text doesn't say that, but we can be pretty sure what's going on. Look again at verse 13. We're told that when Paul went to Philippi, he went to the river. Not to the synagogue. He'd been doing that a lot. He would go to the synagogue and meet with the Jewish people in any community first. The fact that he doesn't do that makes us wonder, is there no synagogue in Philippi? And that's, that's very possible. You see, you need 12 Jewish men as a quorum to form a synagogue in your community. Maybe there aren't the 12 Jewish men. So... He goes and looks for other places where there might be God-fearers, people who are interested in spiritual things. And he heads for the river. You get the sense that he goes there knowing that there might be people there praying. He expects to find a place of prayer. He sits in with the women and he talks to them. Tell me this, what do you think Paul might have talked to the women beside the river about? The weather. What a nice river this is. Isn't it great that the National Trust of Greece have this piece of the patch and we can sit here? I don't think so. I suspect he was talking to these women the same thing that he talks to everyone about everywhere he goes. Jesus Christ and how you can find new life in him. This is, I think this is a woman's only uh, Christianity Explored right here. Here's who Jesus is. Here's how you can get to know him. And Paul's right at the heart of it. So it's a Bible study 
for Lydia? What about the slave girl? The slave girl gets to know Jesus Christ whenever she experiences God's power and is released from bondage. Have you ever seen that? Or experienced that? Some people here, I I know because I know their stories, there's some people here at least who will talk about a time when they were captive. When they were held by something until Jesus Christ set them free. It's not everybody's story, but for some people, this is the way that they encounter Jesus powerfully for the first time. That's what happens here for the slave girl. It it might be an alcohol or drug addiction. It might be depression, anxiety, some other form of mental illness. In a sense, it doesn't matter what exactly the condition is. It's, It's this sense that God powerfully moves and frees us. That's what happened for the the slave girl. What about the jailer? Well, it's different again. Because he seems to be challenged only by what he sees in the lives of other people. Paul and Silas, famous Sunday school kind of story. You put them in prison and they sing. Um, The other bit's even more powerful. There's a jailbreak and they don't leave. Why don't they leave? They don't leave because they know that this uh, Roman prison guard, his life depends on their still being there. If they leave, he's a dead man. That's what happens if you give up your guard in the Roman Empire. And you can see that in the text, how he responds. So these guys choose not to leave. And this makes such a big impression on this um, this jail guard what is it about these guys what is it that makes them special and and it must be he says it, it must be this God that they're praying to this God that they're singing to and Paul or, or the, the guard asks Paul and Silas the question that's music to their ears the one question they'd love everyone to ask sirs what must I do to be saved and they tell him The same thing they've been telling everyone. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. A Bible study. An experience of God's power. Observing Christians living with beauty and integrity on their front line. Three very different people brought to Jesus in very different ways. Folks, I've loved the chance to reflect on this chapter because of the the bright, multi-coloured nature of it when it talks about the life of Jesus flowing out. Where does this life go? It goes to all the places that the Spirit wants it to go. Who's it for? It's for anyone the Spirit chooses to touch. How do they meet Jesus? Well, pretty much any way God wants to bring them to his son. Folks, I hope that's a, an encouragement to you in, in your relationships and the, the people that you're rubbing shoulders with, that you're praying for to find new life in Jesus. But also for us as a church to be sharing with Paul that appetite to keep reaching more and more people in more and more places in more and more different ways. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for your word and how it, it illuminates itself for us. Lord, we know Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. We know his promise from Acts chapter 1 where he said to his apostles that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Thank you that your word then goes to show us how you did some of that work. Thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit you can do the same kind of work through us. It's the Spirit of Jesus who worked in Peter and Silas and who wants to work in us today. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, that that miracle would happen where our hard hearts would be softened, our cold hearts would be warmed up, and we'd find ourselves drawn more and more into this mission of yours to reach lost men and women, boys and girls, to saving faith in Jesus. Lord, come grip us. Make this the, the very passion of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.